Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, and uh, sorry I've been slacking a little bit here on the podcast, but I am back. I've got some calls. Actually, I got some calls from the last episode that I have answered, and they've been sitting here waiting for me to kind of figure out a main subject for this one. Uh, And part of that is because the process of writing the RPG is really interesting for me. I, um, I guess for me personally, the mechanics are the easy part. You know, we're playing a lot of RPGs. We see what mechanics we like, what we don't like. We adjust from there. But the meat of the RPG, the, the games that I really like, the ones that I lean back on are the ones that really show you the way to play. And I don't mean saying this is how you roll the dice, but they really have a lot of flavor and meat in them to, to understand how you would play the game. Like what does the author want? And while I have in my brain how I see this thing running, I, it, the words to describe it have not quite come to be. So, uh, that being said, I think for the audience, people uh, that are listening, you guys, um, you, at least on some level, get it, um, being RPG players, um, and knowing this is a, something we're building. So what I'm going to do is begin playtesting, because I think that will help me kind of shake off, uh, any kind of block that I'm having as far as writing out what should be said. Like, for instance, when I write adventures, uh, I tend to write them very, very loosely in bullet points. Then once I playtest them one time, I add the flavor, I add names, I add all the stuff based on what happened when I was playing, because that's just how I like to work. So I'm going to do the same thing here. So I know that some people had shown interest in uh, playing in the game. So uh, this is going to be the call to action for that. Um, then we're going to uh, go and listen to some call-ins and some answers to such, and then we'll go from there. My plan is here that I'm going to talk about the, I've already talked about it a little bit, but I'm going to talk about the background process here, kind of basically how you create your characters. And I'm going to ask people to call in with their potential character for the campaign. Uh, I'm not judging people. I mean, anybody who wants to try can play. I'm not going to say like, oh, your character is, doesn't work. Um, but I want to kind of see what people come up with. Um, I've got three basic scenarios. Uh, one will be uh, a theft. One will be kind of a, uh, a pit fighter type scenario. And one is going to be kind of the soldier scenario. So that's going to be the starting point for your character. You can choose which one you think would best suit your character and tell us a little bit about them. And then we'll, uh, you know, talk probably over the Audio Dungeon Discord. We'll connect uh, to figure out a time. And I feel like what we're going to do is introduce each character one at a time. And uh, with some solo sessions, that will probably be about an hour or so long each, I would guess. So if that interests you, um, you know, be sure to think of what you want for your character and call in with that. If that if playing doesn't interest you, but you just want to know more about the game, uh, of course, keep on listening. Okay, so I'm just going to read the section that I have on background and journaling, um, because this is really what you're going to need to make your character. Um, as far as the mechanics of the combat and stuff like that, if you've been listening to the podcast with the chainmail with OD&D, the combat part's going to be the same, more or less. I am rewriting it, changing the terms, figuring out some other stuff to make it work, but for essentially it's going to be that combat, the three kinds of combat, etc. So let's get into the backgrounds, and then we'll talk a little bit about characters. Background and journaling. I was born. Everyone has to begin somewhere, even heroes. While there are not statistics to be rolled or equipment to be purchased at character creation, we still must take a few minutes to decide who our hero is, and that often has much to do with where they came from. 
A hero's background sh should consist of three to four sentences to give them flavor and life. The hero's backstory will influence how you roleplay them, out of combat task resolution, and on some level, how they may be perceived by the world in ways beyond stature. A handsome rogue will initially be perceived quite differently than a battle-scarred brute when they step into the dusky tavern hall. As your hero reputation and stature evolve, so will these impressions. Some things to consider when crafting your backstory are your hero's appearance, their general personality, a trade they learned while growing up, and most importantly, their motivations for adventuring. Then I made a little uh, quick hero, very generic, but to give you an idea. Boris grew up on a sheep farm, the youngest of seven boys. With no hope of inheritance, he took work as a caravan guard. Shorter than most men, but almost twice as wide at the shoulder, few men have crossed him twice. Boris has learned to love strong drink and women, and will readily bloody his blade for that which fills his tankard and his bed. And thus is Boris. Uh, so what we want to do when we're creating a character for this is essentially write a little paragraph, kind of describing the character. Now, the second part to this, which we'll deal with in play, is the journal. As the heroes seek adventure and overcome obstacles, a brief journal, heroic journal is what I'm calling it, of new skills acquired should be kept. If your hero serves for several months on a sailing ship, they can add sailor to the background. If they work with a group of desert raiders, perhaps desert survival. If they spend a few months in a new area, they may pick up the local language, etc. These skills are maintained by the hero, even if their stature changes, of course. Okay, so that's basically it. You can call in here um, to the podcast with your hero, their name, a little bit about where they come from, their personality, and then also let me know which adventure type you'd like to start with. Do you want to start off uh, as a thief, essentially, as a soldier, or as a pit fighter? And we will play your character through, and hopefully they make it to, to through the adventure, and we'll gain some stature, and start to build their story in the world that you can start to add to your journal. All right, let's get down to the calls. We got some calls from Joe from Hindsightless, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and a new caller, uh, Rob, talking about a whole bunch of different subjects. So uh, buckle up. Here we go. Is chaos evil? Is entropy evil? I don't know, right? It just kind of is what it is. Um, but yeah, I thought Jason brought up a lot of good points when he was talking about law not being necessarily good. You know, you look at throughout history at a bunch of different political regimes that oppress people. Those are all very, very lawful uh, and far from good. <laughs> far from good. Yeah, like an evil, an evil king ruling his land through fear. He is a lawful king as long as you're following the rules, his society, his way all the time. And then chaos is, I don't know, I, I view law as tending more towards evil, and chaos is just chaos. I'm weird, though. Maybe I should expand a little bit on my alignment talk. <laughs> Sorry, you can play this with the first one. Uh, the reason I am a little more distrustful of law is because it is too often used as a disguise for pure evil or evil means. It's often used as a battering ram to beat people into submission. Whereas with chaos, you know what chaos is. It's, it's chaos. It is entropy. If it's the darker end of chaos, it's the murderer who's trying to kill everyone, burn everything down. Joker from DC. Uh, 
if you know if it's not the dark side of chaos and it's nature and it just is what it is like the wolf through the woods but wait a minute a wolf just does wolf things follows wolf laws so is a wolf lawful then i don't know this shit is confusing anyway man that's it for me peace out yeah i think you're making some good points this is why alignment is such an interesting and nebulous subject i think right so I would say that yeah, your 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 evil king or these uh, these societies, that's where that's when they started getting into the nine point alignment system, you know, because now you can have lawful follow my laws or I'll kill you. That right, that's kind of lawful evil. The lawful that I am using, I guess, is, as my baseline is uh, civilization and you know what comes with it the the family group, the uh, you know working together as a society. That would be the 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 lawfulness, right? And chaotic would be kind of the destruction of that. If you're talking on like a cosmic level, so I mean that's how I. And again, maybe I'll have to sit down and actually figure out exactly. I probably should sit down and figure out exactly if uh, if I'm going to put it into a game. But um, I see them as a. But I mean, just in my personal game that I'm creating, and maybe I won't call it chaos. I feel like there's going to be a side that is the dark side, the shadow side, the the evil, if you will, um, and then there will be a side that is fighting against that, or at the very least, not that. Because I I do think that lo- where a lot of people put neutral, I think I would put lawful. And it's funny you talk about animals because I I like and I don't know if this is a new thing, but I I saw something where they were talking about maybe this is done in the games too. They were talking about switching the beasts and animals in 5th uh, edition Dungeons & Dragons to be unaligned, which I actually kind of like. Like, I feel like there's a difference between being neutral in my mind and being unaligned. I don't like the idea that a person can be neutral and a neutral is what the animals are. Because the animals, <laughs> they don't know any better. They're not making a choice. You know, animals are being animals, right? Wolves are doing wolf things. So, you know, I think that a neutral person is making a decision to not get involved, where an animal is just being an animal. So I do like this unaligned thing. And I like the, you know, I like this cosmic struggle uh, as far as a baseline for, for a sword and sorcery game, you know, really amping everything up to this like level that's, you know, probably not realistic and, and wipes away so many of the subtleties because obviously there's tons of subtleties in life and you can never be exactly one thing, you know, people shift and go back and forth. But I, I think that I can see the distrust and I can see that there's civilizations that have done bad things to people. But I also think that the, you know, the, the humans or whatever would not have been able to advance if not for civilization. You know, they would have stayed maybe in smaller groups and maybe that would have been better. I mean, who knows? I'm not one to make that judgment in my life, but I think in a cosmic scale, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what we're looking at here. Right or wrong, uh, you know, in real life is different than in the game. And I think that, like, if you, if you think about law as trying to uphold the status quo of, of people, keep civilization alive, and chaos as destroying that, then then I think of law as generally good and chaos as generally evil. But sure, what, what you're saying is absolutely true. Uh, there's tons of evil people that would fall on the side of law. It's kind of like that thing that people talk about sometimes with paladins. Like if a paladin goes to a, a, a place and, and this is the law of that land and they're doing all this stuff that would be evil for them normally, don't they just do it because they're lawful? I mean, only if they're stupid. <laughs> Right, this is where rulings and, and and subtlety come in, right? And it's hard to make a a rule exactly right, which is maybe why people, um, you know, abandon alignment. But I think when alignment comes too close to 
individual acts of individual peoples, it becomes really murky and hard to decide. Because again, a king is still just an individual person. I'm looking more on a broad scope. You know, generally, uh, law would be civilization, people working together, uh, you know, societies, that, and uh, the destruction of that would be chaos. So for a person to truly be chaotic, you know, an act like a, a normal person to be chaotic, you're talking about like Cthulhu cultists, let's say, would be chaotic to me. Whereas like just a criminal that steals, uh, you know, robs a bank might not actually be chaotic in general, right? They're not looking to destroy society. They're just looking to get their piece of it because maybe they feel like, uh, you know, it's it's owed to them. Now, of course, those people that, that might do those acts are sometimes being manipulated by some supernatural force that truly is chaos and wants the society to be destroyed. And I think that's that's the difference. But yeah, I, I love this kind of conversations. I think they're super interesting. So yeah, thanks for calling in. Yo, dude, for what it's worth, I think your reasons for designing the game the way you're doing it are good and valid. And not just because they are your reasons, which would be good enough. Because <laughs> we could do whatever we want. Exploring alternate histories, the way things could have happened, all that, all the reasons you gave, those are interesting, cool reasons to do a thing. So yeah, man, you know, I, I like I said, for what it's worth, you asked what we thought. <laughs> That's what I think. I think they're good reasons. Peace out. Hey, Daniel Jason here. Yeah, I don't think you need to worry about justifying the use of chain mail or defending the use of chain mail or anything like that or OD&D. Um, I, I think the fact that it interests you and you're curious and you want to give it a shot is reason enough to experiment with it, you know? I think the fact it's loose enough to easily experiment is also a big plus. And the fact you like subsystems and it provides that. I mean, there are a lot of good reasons to use it. it you know, if it's your play style with a lot of subsystems, it's easy enough to add and subtract things. It's simple enough to bend around what you want to do and you, you enjoy it. So there's a lot of, re and you, you know, what, whether it's nostalgia or not, it kind of hits those notes a little bit as well. Right. So there's a lot, to, a lot of good reasons to use it. And ultimately it doesn't, you know, one thing we're getting out of Rob's over down the heap is it doesn't matter if other people are into it or not, as long as you're into it, then that's good enough reason to do it. I could have been a little clearer when I called you about safe areas in the town. No, I totally understand you're talking about doing a mega dungeon campaign. I guess just for me, I can't imagine players are going to want to go into the dungeon every single session. You, you know what I mean? I think every now and then you're going to want to break that up. And to do a mini adventure to break that up some, sometimes, then that's kind of what, where I was going with the town and the more open world thing. You know, having a little side quest here or there little things to do outside the dungeon every now and then. The dungeons remain focused, but I would think a, a little something a little bit different every now and then might be refreshing to the players. Now, you, you could also do that refreshing feeling by switching games. So we've been playing the Mega Dungeon. You know, we've done it the last eight sessions. This time we're going to do Star Frontiers, and then we'll go back to Mega Dungeon. So you could break up that monotony that way too. <coughs> Not that Mega Dungeon is monotonous, but, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I do think that, right, just going like if you start every session and you say, OK, well, you leave the town, you go to the mega dungeon and go back, that that probably would become monotonous after a while. 
What I mean by no adventure in the town is that it's a safe place. So if a player character, if a player doesn't go into that adventure, like they're not there at all, so none of their characters go, we know their character's safe back in town. If you're running multiple characters and one is hurt and they need to heal up for two weeks, they're safe in the town. Just adventures in general don't happen in the town. Quest givers happen in the town. Uh, rumors happen in the town. You know, and then these things happen, and then you can you can leave the general area to explore uh, other towns where adventures might happen, right? Or you can go to other side quests. You know, you you hear rumors of in the hills that there's you know a, a basilisk, and you want to go raid their lair. These are the things. These are the side quests. These are the other things that you definitely can do, um, and. I think that that all ties in, but even with all that going on, you shouldn't be sitting in the tavern of your safe haven town and all of a sudden there's like, quick, run out to the street because the orcs are raiding the town and burning it down. Like, that's what you don't want, like, in my mind. Like, that's what I meant by that video and what's... So I think we're on the same page, really. And I don't... I also do like to mix it up with different games and stuff. I think that's really fun. And of course, you could have your Star Frontiers characters land in your D&D safe haven town. Oh, yeah. How much beer can... uh? A Jazarian drink. Who knows? So, yeah, I'm pulling another Norton. I paused your podcast to give you the bad news that, yes, Hyperborea, which is a third edition of Ash, is doing away with phases. He's streamlining the combat because people bitch about it. So, that's one of the biggest complaints he's heard is the combat system's too complicated. So, if you search online, you can find where they talk about it, but yeah, they're they're getting rid of phases and the two and the two um, you, you know, the two steps and or the two phases and all that stuff. That's all going away. So yeah, I I I'll look and see if I can find it and I'll send you a link to exactly what he changed. Okay, I sent you the link to that combat thing. So what he's calling phases are the phase one, phase two. What he's calling combat steps, melee missiles, magic movement is still in there. So you do initiative, the winners go, the losers go, melee, winners go, losers go, and missiles, winners go, losers go, magic, you know, like that. So anyway, I sent you the link for it so you can read it and weep. Hi, Daniel. Uh, calling you just to comment on a comment on your last podcast around the experiment to, uh, you know, hide the rules from the players and prevent mini-maxing and kind of the metagame from ruining the immersion. Uh, that's been my strategy since I started running games 40 years ago. Um, back in those days, it would be, you know, I'd look for a new game to play once we got, you know, we got out of uh, role play and started getting into mini-maxing the rules and having three-hour fights about rules every session. And uh, going forward, you know, now it's kind of one of the reasons I'm looking to resurrect some, you know, old crap that nobody plays for specifically that reason to, uh, you know, to keep people in the world and not so much in the rules. Um, but I just thought that was very interesting that that's been something I've been, uh, I've been keen on for a long time. And I thought it was interesting that uh, it's a new idea. Take care. Great talking to you. Ah, see what's, what's old is new again, right? <laughs> As they say, it's super interesting. And, and, I, and I love it. I'm, I'm glad to, to hear that somebody has been doing this for a while because it seems like in theory, that it's just a great idea. And I'll tell you, a lot of the – some of my favorite sessions I've had with new players were when they were literally new players. I would just hand them a character sheet. They'd never played a game before. And they'd look at it and they'd be like, what is this? I'd be like, look at your inventory so you know what you're carrying. Don't worry about the rest unless it comes up. Tell me what you want to do. 
And I've had some of the best gameplay with people that had no idea how to play the games. They they solved puzzles. They 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 outmaneuvered traps. They they outwitted bad guys without ever knowing like what skills they needed to use or that the character was really capable of it. It was more just they were doing it. So I think that's a great way to uh, to play. Of course, now uh, <laughs> I'm wondering what old stuff you're looking for that looking at that you're gonna but you can't tell anybody because if they find out, then they're gonna know the rules. But that's really interesting. Um, that because uh, I, I do feel like though I will say just to, on the other end of it that I think there are some systems where it's important you know I, I think I think I mean I don't play these systems so it's hard for me to know but I would think that something like a game that has lots of feats and things like that where you decide for your character how you want to like build them up if you're playing that kind of game I think it is kind of important for people to know the rules and while you could certainly build a character for them as the DM so they have those feats or whatever. I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just I wouldn't want to do that. But I just don't see that. Like I think that if you uh, if you get to that level of game where you're going to have uh, a lot of special specialization and feats and stuff, I think the players are going to need to know. But uh, I'm curious. I'm curious. Have have you run any games that were more um, like feet heavy and rules heavy like that? And if so, how did that work out? So thanks for calling. Okay, so I looked at the post that Jason sent. Um, yeah, uh, you know, the way that he changed it is really interesting. I mean, I guess unless you know Ash, it's not worth me going through it. Um, but it's not as simple as just taking away the two phases. Um, he's got like this extra part at the end. So you st- what was cool about the phase system, I don't want to get too much into this, is things like if you wanted to like do your full move and then attack, well, let's say a melee attack, you could do that, but what would happen is you'd go the second phase, meaning that even if you're side one initiative, you know, you would still go after the other side because you're doing something, you're doing two things, essentially. The way this changes it is that essentially there's no phases, but certain actions like making a long, like, uh, let's see, uh, a move in melee, move, uh, move, move half an attack or move full and charge attack, those happen after standard move. So basically it still would be, it, it actually resolves, that part of it resolves the same. I think most of it resolves the same. The only thing that would be different for me is that a lot of times I'll have, people will want to make it, will want to change their mind and then I automatically drop them into the second phase if they're changing what they're doing. Um, so that's kind of a little penalty for doing that, if you will. Uh, here he seems to basically just say that the referee will have to figure out how they want to handle it and that's probably what I'll do. So, I don't think it'll actually change that much, to be honest with you. Uh, if he had just gone strictly, you know, move uh, missiles, magic, or I'm sorry, melee missiles, magic movement, just straight back and forth without this added added stuff, I think it would have lost a little of the flavor. So, so far, this doesn't look like it's that much different. It's just laid out differently. Oh, and, and I will put in the show notes the uh, the link that Jason sent me and his little notes about which... Uh, which posts are relevant. So if you know Ash and you want to look at it, then you'll have the link there. So you can thank Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cash for that. Hey, just want to let you know, I listened to your video on house rules, your YouTube video, uh, just now on the way home from work. Good video, good stuff. Uh, and I agree. The big thing is make sure everybody knows and understands the house rules and, you know, are okay with it. These days, I kind of prefer to run rules as written, but there's definitely nothing nothing wrong with house rules at all. And sometimes you need them or sometimes you want them for the flavor campaign, which is perfectly fine. 
I, I think you make good points about trying to think them through and think of the cascading effects that can happen with house rules and the kind of things get left out when you simplify the game by you doing house rules. So all in all, I think, think it was a really good video. Um, yeah, so keep up the great work. Thanks for your call uh, and your kind words. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The more I've been going back to playing OD&D, the little, three little brown books, the less I feel like I need house rules, which might seem the opposite of what most people would think. But um, what I mean by that is instead of pulling out this house rule document to like say, okay, well, in my game, you know, I'm going to get rid of level caps and clerics can use swords and, uh, you know, uh, fighters get extra hit points or whatever, you know, whatever people do in their house rules documents. I'm just not really doing that. I, I think my plan generally is that each character is going to be unique. So if you come to me and say, hey, I have this idea for my fighter, I want them to be, you know, kind of like a ranger. They're going to have, uh, you know, been patrolling the, the borders and this and that. And, you know, we'll just discuss how that might work in the game. And if there needs to be a mechanic for it, we'll create it there on the spot, you know, as you're making your character. And it will be something unique to them. It won't be a table house rule. It will just be how your character is. And I think that that's the beauty of really, really simple games is I can do that and I don't have to fear of breaking it, you know? So I'm trying to use things uh, as written and see how they play out. And that's just the way I'm doing it. And I'm really enjoying it, to be honest with you. Okay, so there you go. Thanks everyone for calling in. I appreciate it. Looking forward to more calls about various subjects and especially your characters that you shall create to adventure in the world of Unchained.